<coughs> Great to, grateful to see you all back with us this afternoon. We're able to make it and got a couple new faces in the clou- crowd. Cloud. Oh, is that a foretaste thing that's come? Um, it's good to see you. I should have just kept her there, huh? Yeah, it's great to have y'all here, and uh, I hope that as we study together that you'll find it beneficial and, and maybe comfort to you in, in some way. One of the things I really like doing, I, I enjoy home, doing home studies, as I'm sure many of you do here. I really enjoy doing the five-part study, you know, it's probably a conversion series, but I, I enjoy doing that with folks in the church, too. Uh, one, you know, it just kind of keeps your skills sharp, you know, whenever you may not have a bunch of gospel studies going on, but two, it's a great opportunity to build relationships just with something simple to study. Ellen doesn't call it a five-part, she calls them a 32-part, because it may take us a long time to get through it, which is okay. That's the purpose of a Bible study, is to study and dig. Um, but one of the things in going through the five-part over the last couple of years, with four or five years with folks in the church, I, I found that I like to do the gospel study the same way I might with someone who's never obeyed the gospel. And I, I always begin, as I'm sure many of you probably follow a similar pattern, with a question, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And uh, which I think is a very serious question, one we all need to ask as we work out our, our salvation with fear and trembling and, and such. And I always give them a couple options, like those multiple, you know, multiple answer tests. And if yes, why? If no, why? And if you don't know, right, I don't know. And one of the things that really surprised me over the years is how many times I'm sitting here doing a gospel study with folks who have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the answer that I consistently get, above all, is I don't know. I found that a lot, that answer a lot, is saints who, who said, I don't know. And I found a lot of Christians who were living in fear, and I think oftentimes it's easy as Christians that we've obeyed the gospel and we receive the cleansing blood of Jesus to forget how powerful that blood is after our first immersion into the, the blood of Jesus Christ and in obedience to the gospel and baptism. And there are things that happen in our life that makes us fear once again. And as I was thinking about this, I got to thinking about Hebrews chapter 12. You know, Hebrews chapter 12 is on the hills of well, 11, obviously, that's simple math. But there at the end of that conversation of all these people who by faith were enabled to live great lives, not perfect lives, but live great lives where they eventually went to be with God. And then chapter 12, verse 1, he says this. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, I believe that we could talk, spend whole lesson, maybe lessons talking about what it means to lay aside the weights. And that's the cares of life and the different worries and, and hardships that come with life. Maybe the ebbs and flow, loss, sadness, paying a bill. I don't know. It could be a lot of different things. And we're not going to talk about that as much, and I don't want to focus on the sin aspect. Because what I think that some people could do, and I've heard it used this way, is to look at this passage and say, look, you know, I don't want to talk about my sin anymore, the past of the past. And they, they brush right over their sin without ever handling it with Jesus. And that's not what this is advocating. We need to have our sins paid for. There needs to be a reckoning for our sin. And it takes humility and submission to the cross for Jesus to be able to remove our sins. And so you don't want to be too far on one of the pendulum, but I believe he's talking to people who, who have had that reckoning with Christ, who have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, who have experienced the cleansing blood of Jesus. And he said, now what I want you to do is I want you to lay aside your sin. Because here's what sin will do to us if we're not careful. What sin will do is it wants to and Satan loves this. He doesn't like it whenever you come up out of that water and you're excited and you're happy and you feel that weight just dropping off your shoulders. He doesn't like it at all. And so what, you know what he wants? wants you to do 
He wants you to keep fretting about your sin. He wants you to drag it around like a member of the penis, like Olinus. He wants it to be your security blanket. He wants to be the thing that you cannot shake, the things that you cannot forget, the things that you cannot move past. And he wants it to continually cause you fear of damnation. And you know what? After we obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's not something we should have to experience. In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, he says, For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And that, that word fear there is the, is the phobia-type fear. Not an on reverence fear that we ought to have with God, but a phobia fear of someone who understands that their sin will be the eternal death of them. And that is a, that's a paralyzing fear. And he said, but that's, that's not how a Christian ought to, be able to, ought to feel anymore. Instead, or as we think about God, there ought to be thoughts of the understanding that he is our protector and our caretaker, and we find comfort now. You see, but your sin, it wants you to fear and worry, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to make it to heaven. All we need to know is there's no more condemnation inside of Christ. Earlier in that chapter, starting in verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin, and death. There's a lot of things that could be talked about in Romans 8. We'll probably come back here a little bit more throughout the sermon today. When I want to talk about this idea that there is no more condemnation, that means that there's not a sentence of damnation hanging over you. And I can't imagine what that's like. You know, I, I thankfully have not been um, in, a, in a criminal court where I've been awaiting trial, knowing that there is going to be a bad, bad punishment passed upon me. And I can't imagine for even the most hardened criminal that that is a good feeling to have that weight laying on you. There's a lot of people that can't take that weight. That instead of handling and, uh, and, and adapting in life and turning to God and working to have their sins removed, that they can't take the thought of that and, and it doesn't end well. There's a lot of people who just have to live life with that feeling on their shoulders, trying to fill that void and trying to just press down those feelings of fear, knowing deep down inside they're not right with God. And so they mask it with all the joys and pleasures of this world. Ah, we don't have to cover it up. We don't have to just wish for that feeling to go away. He said, look, there's no sentence anymore. Now that's someone who's free, right? Someone who shouldn't have to worry, someone who shouldn't have to fear, someone who a confidence like maybe Paul can say, I've run my race. I finished my course, right? Someone who's ready. How can I know? How can I know that there's no more condemnation? Because what some people do is they'll say, well, Brother Lee, I understand for those who are inside of Christ that there is no more damnatory sentence anymore. There's no more condemnation. I shouldn't have to fear. But there's a caveat on this. You forgot that he said it's for those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Well, you got me. It says that. There is a caveat. That as Christians, we need to make sure that we're not living in sin anymore. You look on at 1 John 1. We'll spend a lot of time throughout the day in this. Starting in verse 6, he says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. We're going to find uh, this sentiment all over in the scriptures. We're going to find statements like walking in the light versus walking in darkness, walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh, and probably a, a handful of others that we could probably put in the same category. But, but these are very close in comparison where you have some some that talked about walking in spirit versus flesh. And the last one, this walking in light darkness, they're synonymous and in their teachings. And it is true that if I'm continuing to live a life of willful sin, then there is a sentence. 
that I haven't been offered that forgiveness or it's been revoked in that sense because I've chosen my prior life. I've chosen darkness and I'm still living in it. What I think we get twisted up sometimes is what exactly this means to walk in darkness versus walking the flesh. Is this a light switch right here? Sorry, it sounded like it was part of my sermon. It was a question, you know. But uh, sometimes I think we feel like our sin is, is like walking in a room and turning lights on and off. I've sinned. Whoop, walking in darkness. Oh, I prayed. I'm back in the light. Whoops, I sinned. And so on and so forth. We live our life worrying that the next time that we sin, maybe it doesn't get forgiven. Maybe I'm not clear. And so I think we need to ask ourselves, what does it mean walking in darkness or light? Is one sin going to be that thing that casts me back into darkness where now there is a damnatory sentence and condemnation? Or is it different than that? I don't know, this could be a very deep discussion for a, very, a much smarter man than me, but I'll tell you some of the simple ways that I think about this. I, I like litmus tests. I like tests that kind of give me an idea of where we're sitting. And though this is not all there is to it, I'd like to share with you a couple ways you might know if you are or you are not walking in the light or if you are or not walking in darkness. Because if I'm walking in light, I have no reason to fear. I can let my sin go and I can live for Jesus knowing that eternal life waits. I can say yes when someone asks, are you going to go to heaven if you die tonight? And if I answer no to this because I'm walking in darkness, then something needs to happen. We need to go to Jesus once again. I'd like to start out in Romans chapter 13, verses 12 through 14. He said, The night's far spent, the day's at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day and not in riding or drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness and strife and envying. But put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not a provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And as he talks to us here, he said, I want you to stop being like the rest of the world here. I want you to live in a way that you're not ashamed of anyone's sin, essentially. Because our seedy things are done at night, right? That's why nobody wants to walk, nobody in the right mind wants to walk down a, down a dark alley in a, in a big city or things like that. But he said, I want you to walk honestly. I want you to walk without all these different sins here. And he goes on and so forth and a lot of other things. I believe could probably be put in that category. But I like this passage here, this piece. He says, make not a provision of the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I believe we can know whether or not we're walking in the light or walking in darkness in part on whether or not we're providing a provision to sin. I uh, haven't been on many diets ever. Uh, you know, I'm not really into fitness. I'm into eating. Um, not competitively, but I'm still into eating. Um, but let's just say, for instance, that my doctor told me, hey, dude, your blood pressure's, you know, pretty scary. And so one of the things that you need to start doing right now is you need to cut Dr. Pepper out of your diet. I'm going to tell you that's a big deal for me. Uh, I believe, I don't know, Dr. Pepper is one of, it's a gift. I'll just tell you that. It's a gift. <laughs> I like it. I like everything about it. I like the way that it burns going down. I, I like the bubbles. I like the taste of anything. I don't know. We stopped going on here with my Dr. Pepper love. But let's just say he said, give it all up. And I said, sure, I'll give it up. I'll be done with it. But then as I leave the doctor's office before I make it home, before Ellen can really get on me about my high blood pressure and what I need to do and not do, I stop by the grocery store and I say, you know what? I'm going to buy one, a farewell case. You know, they come in 12s and it's just unearthly expensive right now. But a case of 12 of these 
12-ounce cans of beautiful, and I'm going to take some of these cans when I get home. Before I walk in the house, I'm going to go out to my office, and I'm going to shove some down in my filing cabinet in the back. I'm going to go back out to the fridge that's in the meat room that Ellen doesn't want to go into, and I'm going to put some of the back of the refrigerator, and, and maybe I'm going to go to one of my sock drawers. i got a couple of them. I like socks, you know, and put one in the back of the sock drawer. And I'm just going to hide them all over the place because there's inevitably going to be a day that even if I'm a good boy for a long time, that someday I'm going to have a bad day. And someday I'm not going to have slept enough the night before. And I'm going to go, you know what? Today I, I deserve one of these. I need this. I got to have my caffeine pick me up. And coffee won't do it. And a glass of unsweet tea ain't going to cut it. I need a soda. You know what? I can have one because I've left it close to me. I've made sure that it was accessible, and as silly and as fun as that is, and Dr. Pepper is not wrong, I just want to make that clear, we do that with our sin. We do that with relationships that don't benefit us spiritually, knowing that folks aren't good for us, but we keep them in our lives. One of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life whenever you have addiction or struggles is to look at people you grew up with and say, I can't. I can't be with you anymore. And to walk away from prior life, it's hard to do that. Because you love them and you want to be near them. And you don't want to see all the bad that has brought it. But sometimes, you know what? We need to be careful of our associations. And they're the things that are the the provision for the flesh luring us back into the world. Sometimes I don't care if it's narcotics. I don't care if it's pornography. I don't care if it's cussing or whatever the sin is. Whatever you struggle with, there is a way to keep it close to you. And generally, it's somewhere that nobody else will see it. That you can indulge in it at your convenience. And brothers and sisters, if you're making a provision for the flesh, it's time to get right with Jesus because you're walking in darkness. Just because we stumble and fall sometimes, though, it doesn't mean we're walking in darkness. If we're doing everything we can to keep as far away from sin as we can, to eradicate it, to remove it, to not keep it close to hand, then I would say, God bless you. Keep fighting the good fight of keeping sin out of your life. You're probably walking in the light. And that ain't easy. Brothers and sisters, just because we sin... Doesn't mean we're walking in darkness. Another way we might could know, or another piece of the puzzle, I guess you could say, is in John chapter 3, 19 through 21. Whenever Jesus is talking here, he said, This is the condemnation. The light's coming to the world in the middle of darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither comes to the light, lest his deeds would be reproved. But he that doeth truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. I don't know, the kids are staying this week down in, in the basement. I forgot what you called it there. Yeah, call, they call it the dungeon, you know. There is a, there's, doesn't look like there's any outside light in that room. And I'll be honest, that's one of my favorite places to sleep is places like that. Stayed in some of those, no light. I, you, I, sleep, it's, I don't want to admit how long I could sleep, you know, no light, things like that. I love my room to be that, be that way, especially when I was a teenager. But, you know, my mom, my mom would walk into the room, and I wanted to sleep, and I could have used a lot more sleep, and mom would turn the light on, you know, and that's when you groan and you roll over as a teenage boy, and, and you just want mom to leave so you can get the light off again. But nope, she wouldn't do it. She'd leave the light on, and she'd sit right there on the end of the bed talking to me, talking and talking and talking till I finally got up. And I value that in her now, but at the time, I didn't value that very much. Maybe you've never had that experience, but everybody's probably have a flashlight shine in their eyes at one point or another. It's not pleasant. Whenever you want to stay in darkness, a, a bright light... It's not a good feeling. It hurts. And so what do you do? Immediately you yell out, turn that off. Stop it. 
Or if you're Ellen and me shining the light in her eyes, she's going, Lee, what's wrong with you? You know, things like that. We don't want that light shining in our eyes. And that's this thing with the, with the truth and with, with trying to be right in this life. I either want to be right or I don't. And what I mean is I want to be righteous or I don't want to be righteous. And that there are times whenever we're going to need somebody to hold us accountable. And if in those moments of accountability, we will not humble ourselves and appreciate the light that is shining in our eyes, the righteousness, then we've got a heart problem. I'm going to talk probably a little bit more on that on Tuesday night, a little bit more on that idea of accountability and restoration. But here he says the people who love the light, they don't just not yell for the light to be turned off whenever it's shining in their eyes. He says the people who do the truth, I'd say that's the people walking in light, they come to the light. These are the people who aren't just waiting to be told they're wrong or waiting for approval and assuming that all is well because nobody's saying nothing. But these are the people who are constantly proactive going, what do you see? And remember what David said to God? He says, search me, O God, know my heart. See if there be any unclean way in me. And if, and if there is, cleanse me and I'll, I'll walk in paths of righteousness. I'll turn from that. How badly do we want to live right is the question. Can I take it whenever I'm rebuked? Do I want that rebuke? Am I looking for accountability? If you are, God bless you, brothers and sisters. Be at peace because that's a part of walking in the light. Now, if you don't want to be right, whenever you're told you're wrong, something needs to change because you may be walking in darkness if that's where you want to stay. Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 23, he says, I see another law that's in my members warring against the flesh of my mind and bringing me into captivity, uh, the law of sin. It's in my members, the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So with the mind myself, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And this can be a very interesting passage, especially the part of it we're going to read here just a moment from a few scriptures before. But I want to focus in on what he says here. As I see a law in my members, warring against a law in my mind. Uh, Paul was a man. Paul was a man and he faced struggles um, just like we do, whether it was struggles against a commitment to the old law, and I believe a law against the spirit of the flesh or sinfulness in this life, uh, we have struggles. And sometimes it feels like a battle. You know, sometimes I feel like whenever I lose a battle that I'm, I've lost the war, so to speak. You know what I mean? Because there are times, there are times whenever I, I know the fight that I'm fighting and I feel like I fail, and I fail over and over again in some of the same things. Some of the same things that I don't want to do, I end up doing again, and, and I feel like, over. Oh, I, like, I don't like at the end of the day having to go back and talk to God and say, I, I did it again, but I do. Some people and sometimes what we feel like whenever we trip and we fall, we feel like that's it. I've lost the war. But I believe this passage is teaching us that sometimes we lose battles, but it doesn't mean we've lost the war. I'll tell you, it's a good sign. I believe that it is a good sign whenever you lose a battle and you feel a little bit helpless like you're still just waging a war that is almost unwinnable. And I'll tell you why I think that's a good feeling and a good sign. Because there are times in my life when I've been so overtaken in sin and so committed to sin that I didn't even know I was sinning. I didn't even think about it. It didn't even seem wrong when I was doing it. You know what I'm talking about? Because if we're not fighting a battle, if we're not fighting a war, we've just given ourselves over to sin. It doesn't affect our conscience. It doesn't hurt my feelings. I don't feel any shame. You know how many people I talk to nowadays that they don't even understand what some sins are. I was talking to a, a lady here a while back, or I was at a Bible study where a lady was asked, do you know what adultery is? And this 40-year-old woman said, sure, I know what that is. That's when little kids are acting like adults. 
That's what she thought adultery was. Well, I guess in some ways that may be true, but that's not all that it is. Studying with somebody the other day, they had no idea that pornography was wrong. Studied with some of the same group of people here a little while back, they had no clue that getting drunk was a sin. You see, whenever you're not fighting a battle at all, we'll do anything. So I think it's a great sign. I think it's a great sign whenever sometimes we do mess up, not that it's good, but that we hurt over that and we mourn over that and our, our tears or our joy is turned to sorrow and that we cry and we reach out to God and we feel remorse because we, praise God, we're still fighting a battle. We haven't given up to our sin. And if you're still fighting, but you're still struggling, you're still stumbling from time to time, keep on. Keep fighting, brothers and sisters. Find somebody to fight with you. Find somebody to pray with you. Find somebody to study with you. I don't care. You got elders in here and deacons and, and evangelists and all kinds of brothers and sisters who will walk through this fight with you. Just don't stop fighting. And if you're still fighting, God bless her, you're probably walking in the light. But if you've just given up on the fight, you need to come back to God. You're walking in darkness. Maybe even more confusing piece of this passage of verse 14. He says, we know the law is spiritual. I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For, that I would, for, for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. And then, if I do that which I would not, I consider the law that it is good. I probably can't read it much better than that. And I don't know if you're reading it even as good as I was saying it. So that's no brag right there. It's hard to read that for me. And even harder for me was to wrap my brain around this. One, you got an antiquated language in the way it's translated here. A lot of times when I'm using this word consent here, it's like saying little Bobby asked his mommy to sign the consent form that he could go on the field trip. And she signed her name and gave consent. Yes, my little Bobby can go on the field trip. So on and so forth. And that's not necessarily what consent means here. Consent here is more of the prove. Something is being proved. And so he said, look, I prove that the law is good, is more how you could read that. So what are you talking about? What, what proves that the law is good? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, if I do the things that I hate to do, I've proved that the better part of me is good. And you say, well, how is that true? Because if I do something that I hate, it means that I didn't love it. <laughs> Confusing still? You know what? There's sometimes, there are sometimes we do things... And whenever we do them, our excuse was, I didn't mean to do it. I didn't want to do that. I don't know why I did it. That's, that's a big one with my kids nowadays. And if they get in trouble for doing something, and they're at that age where I'll say, why did you do this? And they give me this look in their eyes of like, ah, did I do that? They're just as shocked as I am that they did it, you know? Their brain, their hormones are playing tricks on them. But I'll tell you, I can relate to that. I can relate to it in a much worse way because sometimes I don't guard my mouth like I ought to. And sometimes I let my emotions get the best of me. And the people that I love the most in my life are the people that I hurt the worst. You know what I, I know with Ellen? I know where to cut her off at the knees. And in times whenever things aren't going my way, I'm ashamed to confess to you that I've said things to her that in the moment it come out of my mouth and it went, ah, it, and it just came, it popped out of my mouth, and I know when they have, there's no stuffing them back down. And that those words were stronger than any physical abuse. They hurt, and they cut, and it's to the one I love more than any other person in this world. I did not want to say those things. Sometimes, with our sin, we do things that we just don't want to do. We did them anyways, because our flesh is pulling on us, and, and pulling on us, and, and it wins sometimes. And Paul's saying, I... I end up doing the things I really don't want to do. I don't love them. I hate it. I hate that I do this, and I'm sorry, Lord. And he said, but just the fact that I hated to do it, I didn't want to do it, 
I didn't take joy that I did it. I didn't revel in it later. It proves that the better part of me, the part that is, is truly existing in my heart, is a desire to do good and not evil. It's just a couple of things to look at, and I go, maybe they tell me if, if we're doing good in these areas and I'm walking in the light, and I'm not creating opportunities for myself to stay in sin, and that I actually hate my sin and I don't enjoy doing it, all these different things that we mentioned and probably a number of others. You can probably find more. And I challenge you as you work out your salvation with trembling, go to the scriptures and find these places and others where you can compare your life up against the scriptures to know whether or not you're walking in the line. But there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people that have that feeling that whenever they make mistakes, that that's walking in darkness and that sends them into a, a spiraling vortex of uh, of worry and the fear and, and it troubles their hearts and it weighs them down in life like shackles our sin keeps us from doing the things that we ought to but I want you to know for all of these things that we can look at to litmus whether or not I'm walking the light or I or I am walking in the light or I'm not walking the light what we need to know at the end of the day is you're just not going to be perfect there's no Christian who's going to be perfect so it can't be that walking the light is about somebody being perfect and never making mistakes I believe that John in his epistle what he writes is my little children I write unto you that you sin not right that's how he starts it don't do it because if you do that's the it finito you're finished no sorry I wasn't meaning to speak in tongues there finito I just that was just my redneck way of saying finished what he said is my little children write unto you that you sin not but when you do you have an advocate with the father there's a way out all is not lost he said this in verse 6, or verse 8, excuse me, of the same passage we read in others. He said, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. The truth is, Christians are not perfect. You will never be perfect. Does that mean that we stop fighting for perfection? Absolutely not. We reach for holiness because our God is holy. Our Savior is holy, and that's what he calls us to. To be different, and to be changed, and to do better. To fight the fight. But you won't be perfect. So what does he expect from me? Because God who inspired this has an expectation that you are not going to be perfect. And he said, if you say you are, you're a liar. And well, we're, we know what he thinks about liars. That's not safe either. We'd have reason to fear. So he says to confess our sins. That's what he asks of us. Confess our sins. How good of a confessor are you? How often do you ask yourself that question? Am I good at confessing? Now, I'm not talking about being eloquent. I'm not talking about being showy or anything like that. I'm talking about, do you confess your sin? Probably don't, I probably don't as, as often as I ought to, especially in times past. And why don't we? Because I don't want somebody to know what's wrong with me. God already does, and I know that way down deep. But my brothers and sisters don't know how bad I am, right? Uh, I'll tell you this. He asked for confession. And I believe that confession to our brothers and sisters is probably a piece of that, though I know he's talking about a confession to him specifically. We have a great tool, and I'll mention it before I go on. In James 5, verse 16, he says, Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for them that you may be healed. We see it practice with old brother Simon. We call him Simon the Sorcerer, but that's Simon our brother. Simon our brother, who also lost a battle in life. And whenever he realized he was wrong, he wanted to go to the light instead of say in darkness. And someone said, You need to pray. And he said, Do it with me. There was, I mean, he was ashamed of what he did, but there was no hiding it. He said, I need help. 
And I'll tell you that in Simon we see this humble spirit. I believe that is what he's calling for here of confessing our sins. When he says we ought to confess our sins. We, we need that. There are times whenever we try to hide our sins from God and, and it's just not going to work. David said, I have, I have hid my sins from you. You remember that passage there where he is hiding his sins? And he said, man, every time I saw a bright spot in my life, he said, my, my, my moisture was turned to the drought of summer. My laughter was turned into tears. Why? Because he was trying to hide his sin from God, and the guilt was destroying him. It was killing him, which is one of those reasons we got to lay aside the sin that easily besets us. And his sin that he was hiding from God was making him unprofitable in the kingdom, sinful even, continuing to spiral further and further away from his God. And what God asked from you and I, he said, I want you to confess your sins. You ain't going to be perfect, even though I want you walk in the law. So you tell me, you tell me when you're down. And we're going to come back to that here in a little bit. But I want you to know that I don't believe it's all about confession. Well, I got scared. I thought I hit a button there. Um, but, but it's not all about confession. We have made confession sometimes, I don't know, so mechanical. I don't, I don't know another way to put it, but we made confession so mechanical. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. There was a lot of times when I was a kid, and I say a kid, maybe late teens and things like that, where I knew I needed to confess, right? Mom and Daddy told me I needed to tell, him, tell God to forgive me for my sins at the end of every day before I prayed or before I went to sleep, and I did that. And I'd run to the bedroom at night, and I was all tired, ready to go to bed because I was ready to wake up the next day, and I'd sit down by the edge of my bed, and I'd say, Heavenly Father, Lord in heaven, thank you for all these things. Appreciate the day you gave me. Thanks for keeping me healthy. Please forgive me for all my sins. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Oh, yeah, help keep me safe through the night. You know, and I'd rifle through that puppy. I don't know, maybe you didn't do that. I hope you didn't do that, Tim. But I did that. And there were different times whenever I had committed a sin that I'd sit there and I'd tell him, please forgive me for my sins, but, but there was no brokenness. There was no humility. There was no hurt. There was not a ton of remorse. And I believe that's what he's looking for more than he's just looking for us to say, hey, I've forgiven. Can you uh, throw me a pardon here? He's saying, I want to see this spirit in you. And I'll give you, for instance, we've turned this, this confession into a simple sacrifice. In Psalms 51, verse 15 through 17, O Lord, open now my lips and my mouth will show you praise. For you desire not sacrifice, else would I give it. You delight us not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. It's not completely about the sacrifice of a prayer of confession. That's not what it's all about. It's about me being broken. It's about me hitting my knees and saying, I'm sorry. I have no excuses. I did it again. And feeling it all the way down. Someone who was so disturbed by their sin, they're not scared to go find a trusted brother or sister and say, pray with me. Because they're more afraid of not being right with God than they are of hiding their sin. We got to break free of that. I believe it's about humility. Now, don't walk away from the sermon and go, Brother Lee said you don't have to confess because that's not what I'm saying. What we're talking about is a broken spirit, a spirit of humility that will always confess sin. James chapter 4, I believe this is one of the best places to start, whether we're talking about my counseling for something that I need to fix myself or to counsel someone else in. Here's where we start. Verse 6, he said, he gives more grace. There ain't no shortage of grace, folks. 
We shortchange ourselves, though. He said, Wherefore, he said, God resists the proud, but give a grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Now, I've been referencing this all the way through because I just always get ahead of myself, and that's what I do. But here, you see where he's talking about it. He's, he says something about resisting the devil he'll flee from you so we'll help ourselves but here he says if you'll draw it out of god he'll draw it out of you but he'll resist the proud now resisting is is not just sometimes sometimes we skim through that and go well yeah if i'm humble then he'll take care of me and what we don't stop to think a minute about is exactly what resisting means resisting is like an unwanted hug like somebody who's walked up to give you a hug and 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 they love you so much, and they come up to you, and they want to hug you. It's so good to see you, and you go, ah! Well, that happened a lot last couple of years. Sorry, I shouldn't have joked about that. But in all seriousness, it becomes very awkward in those situations because you want someone, you want to be near somebody, and they say, nope, uh-uh, back off. And if my heart, your heart is an humble in the matter of our sin and confessing it to God, he's, he's not just saying, yeah, I see you over there. He's saying, no, you stay over there. And you can't get any closer to him. It's not like you could force your way in and make it in if you're quick enough. That's not happening. He will resist you. He will push you away actively. And so he says, you be broken. And if we will be broken, and if we will truly be remorseful in our heart, he said, at the end of the day, I, I will I will accept you. I'll draw you nigh. I'll bring you close. Said a deny on you, I'll draw you nigh. And I'll tell you, when God lifts us up, he lifts us up. And we're never going to fill up until it's the Lord lifting us up. And we have to make sure that we've approached our sin with humility. He expects you to be humble, brothers and sisters. But I'll tell you, one of the reasons I watch people so fearful over the sin in their life, and, and maybe they've been forgiven. And maybe they had, I hear people say all the time things like, I just hope that I've been good enough. And I'm going, wait a minute, you can't be good enough. We can't earn our salvation. It's about grace. It's about grace. And be like, yeah, but I've been pretty bad. I don't know if God could forgive me. Look. He's got grace. He gave a perfect sacrifice. He can feel me. And, and Christians say, well, I know that and understand that. But after I became a, a Christian, I, I still, I made all these mistakes. I, I hope that he'll forgive me. And I, I try to show him how sorry I am. And I try to pray every time, every single time, which leads me to one of my favorite hypotheticals in salvation-dom. And that's, well, what if I sin? What if I'm driving down the road? What if I'm driving down the road? I'm about to cross the railroad tracks. And then I say something naughty that I shouldn't, and then the train hits me. I, people hit me with that one all the time. What if I sinned before I was able to verbally say, Lord, please forgive me for my sins? Am I in trouble? Is it all about the sacrifice? Is it all about making sure the words that come out? I believe it's about the heart set and the way that we live before our God each and every day. A humble man will confess his sins. An arrogant one won't. And an humble man will recognize that there are things in his life that even he doesn't have a handle on. Times when he's going to make mistakes he doesn't know. And he's going to recognize that before God, and he will live accordingly, trusting in the grace of the Lord. And I believe that's what we forget. Sometimes we just have the wrong view of who God is. Kind of like these fellas in 1 John 1, or fellas that we're going to read about in John here in a minute. Um, in 1 John 1, we forget this piece. He said, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What you need to realize is that your forgiveness is not all about you and what you do. 
Is there your part in the part in the equation? Absolutely. But I think we need to have a little more faith in the God of great grace. Sometimes I don't see God for who he really is, kind of like the people in John 8, as I got ahead of myself a while ago. John 8, you remember that they brought a, per, a person, a lady, a woman, a sinner, to Jesus. And they brought this woman to Jesus, and they said she was taken in adultery in the very act. The law says she ought to be stoned. They said, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. The law commands us that she should be stoned. But what do you say? And they said this not because they wanted justice or judgment to be performed, but they said this tempting him that they might have some reason to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger he wrote on the ground as though he had not heard them. And then when they continued to ask him, he lifted up himself and he said to them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. People use this in a lot of ways, many of them unscriptural. We're not going to go into the whole casting of stones first. But I want you to think about the reasons why they asked this question. The reason why they chose this situation the reason why they asked the question, what should happen to her? Well, you'd say, well, at first glance, it's obviously because they thought, aha, here's a way to get Jesus. Let's see what he does. He's such a lovey-dovey dude. He'll never stone this woman, but the law says stone her. Let's go a little deeper than that. I don't know. I feel like it's deeper. It may not be. But I feel like these, these people look at God kind of the way that I have in times past. They saw God as the punisher. And that's all they saw him as. That God is the cosmic being who is waiting for you to put a toe out of line so he can squash you like a bug. That whenever you sin, he hates your guts to the very fiber of your being and there's no coming back. And I think sometimes that's how we look at God because that's how we as humans are. We have a hard time forgiving. And we want justice. Somebody wrongs us, we want justice. Justice needs to be served. But with, with God, that's how they were looking at him. And so they thought, look, this dude, he ain't from God. Or they wanted to say that because if he was God, he'd stone this woman. And sometimes that's the only way that I can see God. Is God a God of justice and judgment? Absolutely. But our God is a God of mercy and grace. And we need to be confident in that fact. He's not looking for a reason to destroy you. For, uh, they said, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. As long-suffering to us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want to tell you that your God is somebody who for eternity has been looking for ways to pardon you. That before he even made a stone on this earth, and before a person ever set foot on it, that he sat down and he and the son said, someday they're going to need somebody to forgive their sins. That I'm going to be upset with their sin. And they're going to have to pay for their sin. And they can't live with me forever because of their sin. And what they need is you. And Jesus said, sign me up. I'm going to go a couple thousand years watching them mess it up on earth. And I'm going to come in the form of a person and giving up all this, all my relationship with you. And I'm going to let them treat me like junk for a little bit, and then I'm still going to die for him on the cross. Is that a God who's looking for a reason to destroy? That's a God who's giving every opportunity to save. A God who desires that everyone, that everyone will get to walk through this life not in fear anymore, not in paranoia, not with this burden of guilt, this blanket we've carried around as sin, but with the joy of salvation. It wasn't just the plan, you know? wasn't just the plan that he proved that in. Now, he commends his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But I want you to think about the things that are in place now to this day. Not just the sacrifice, but because of the sacrifice. Think about what Christ is doing for you right now. 1 John 2, 1 and 2, my little children, these things are right unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have, one, we have an advocate. 
uh, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is a propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. That word advocate there, it's, it's a law term, a legal term. Someone who's pleading a case, he's a lawyer. And I don't know, sometimes I don't know what you think about lawyers. I ain't saying nothing about Franklin, you know, but anyways, I don't know. There's some that don't have a great reputation. There's some who do out for justice and things like that. But I'll tell you this. There is not a lawyer in the world with enough education, enough skill, enough credibility to be able to stand before God for any of us, for me, and to be able to say, Lord, let me lay out a reasons why this man should be innocent, why you should throw out the whole case against him. No one could do it. But Jesus, I guess, can. And it says that Jesus is standing right there for you and I right now, brothers and sisters. If we sin, because we will, when we sin, maybe it'd be better. When a man sins, we have him advocating for us. And he's pleading for us. And he was able not to just persuade God a little bit, but said he's a propitiation. He takes away the anger. That's pretty convincing argument, isn't it? That's what God is doing for you. That whenever you sin, you can be confident in your salvation. Because God said, you know what? You're going to mess up, but I'm going to give you the best lawyer there is. He's not just a lawyer, though. Hebrews 2, 17, he says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him that he be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he's able to succor them that are tempted you know, I think there's a lot of people who enter what they call the clergy nowadays that have no, I don't know, they at least act as if they have no idea what it's like to be human. That it's as if they're above all the trivial fleshly temptations of mankind of whom they are a part of and so that other mankind can go to them and say, please forgive me for I, I have sinned and they can sit there and act as if they're this pardoning agent for God. And I'm not trying to be rude or angry or, or hurtful towards anybody, but I'll tell you this. Even the great high priest, he's not above our sins. He's not above understanding our temptations. And I don't mean that he's sinful. Instead, what I mean is that whenever he was here in the flesh of a human, he was tempted in every point as a human like we are. And we have a tendency to go, but yeah, but. I mean, it was Jesus. So maybe it wasn't as hard to avoid temptation. I can't buy that. That's not what the scripture intimates towards us. What it tells us is that he was tempted in all points as a man. So the way that you feel whenever your temptation calls you, whenever the Dr. Pepper beckons from the back of the refrigerator, he felt that. How hard was it? How hard was it whenever Satan was out there saying, look, you ain't ate a thing in 40 days, why don't you just turn this rock into bread? He could have done it in a heartbeat, but he didn't. He ain't going to be tempted. How hard was it whenever he knew, even though he'd known for eternity? You know, there's one thing to know something's coming for a long time out. And another thing, whenever you get up right next to it, to be able to say, I'll go through it, right? So for eternity, he knows I'm going to die on the cross. It's going to be painful. But the time is coming. He tells his disciples, the Son of Man, it's time Son of Man will be lifted up high. And, never, and Peter goes, no, not, not you, Jesus. You don't have to die. And remember, that's when he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Temptation was great. Because he didn't want to die. Not that way. So this high priest, he gets up there. It's Jesus having gone through it. And whenever you and I mess up, I believe, and this may be my looking through my lens at it, but I believe that this great high priest is one who's sitting there going, he could say, I guess he could say, he could say, Lord, don't let him in. I didn't fall prey to that sin. Lord, let him in. He didn't try hard enough because I, I didn't do that thing. I overcame this. Well, if he wanted it bad enough, he'd have done like me. No, that's not how Jesus is. This high priest, he gets up there and he said, Lord, I know. I understand how hard it is. 
Lord, Lord, I mean, the temptation, God, it's big. It pulls in these folks. I know I was there. We ought to forgive them because he knows. He knows what you go through. You know, God is a God of mercy. Let your sin go because God wants to forgive you. Romans 8, 26 through 27. We get in that scary territory talking about the spirit and all that. He said, likewise, the spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is in the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I don't claim to know all the ins and outs about the Holy Spirit. I I hope to grow in in my knowledge and, and understanding of it more as we go through this life. There's a lot of things that I watch people argue about on the Holy Spirit. Is it in us? Is it not in us? Things like that. But here's what I do know. The Holy Spirit was given for us. And we're not talking about a miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit that was given to man through the apostles, through Christ, and then through the apostles to do works to create belief. What we're talking about is an action that is given to all men. Do you remember the promise that was given by Peter to all of those Jews there in Acts 2 when he said, Whenever you repent and you're baptized for the remission of sins, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Right? That's what he promised. And I believe this is a part of that promise right here that every person gets. Not every person gets a miraculous gift of the Holy Ghost. They ain't even around for us nowadays. But you know what every Christian gets? They get this. They get this spirit working for us that he understands us. He knows who we really are. It knows the good part of us, as he said in Romans chapter 7. And it knows that whenever we're sorry, that we're really sorry. You ever felt that way? You ever hurt somebody's feelings so bad? I'm about to wrap it up. I'm sorry. Going a little long. You ever hurt somebody's feelings and you knew it and you tried to apologize and you're, you're standing there talking to them and you just go, you know, there's nothing you can say. What makes up for what I did? I, I, there's nothing I can do to show you. What do I buy you a box of chocolates? That ain't going to do it. Do I, am I a servant to you at your beck and call for a certain amount of years? There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say that can, that can take away the hurt that I've caused. And I'm just begging you, please forgive me. And you know, one of, the most, one of the most humbling feelings and the things that just takes the weight off your shoulders whenever somebody looks at you and you're thinking, they'll never understand, they'll never be able to forgive me. And they look at you and they just go, I know, it's okay. And I'll tell you, that's the spirit. And whenever you're sitting there on your knees and you're praying, Lord, I did it again and I'm so sorry. That the Spirit is going, He is. And whenever I can't tell Him, I, I mean, that's all I, I feel. I feel silly sometimes, you know, because all I can say is I'm sorry and, and that's not good enough. But, but the Spirit can say it in a way that I guess is good enough. That God will accept. Because it's definitely not an eloquent apology coming out of your lips or mine. But the Spirit will advocate too. An humble spirit, it will advocate every time you mess up. Sometimes we mess up, but He knows and He's talking. Brothers and sisters, sin shouldn't rule us anymore. You don't have to live in fear. You're you're no longer under condemnation. God wants to forgive you. I hope as a Christian this evening that you're trusting in the grace of God. And I hope that as you answer a question for yourself tonight, because I ask it to you. Brothers and sisters, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? If the answer is yes, God bless you. Praise God. If the answer is no, let's talk. Maybe we got some confessing to do together. We, we definitely got a lot of praying together. That's a blessing of being in this church together. And if the answer is, I don't know, you know what? Let's talk about that too. Because I know this. If you want to go to heaven, God has made a way. You don't have to live in fear. Your sin doesn't have to drag you down. But you can lay aside the weights through Jesus Christ, the sin that easily besets you, and you can start running this, 
this race more effectively. If we can help you tonight with the sin in your life, sit up here while we sing this last song.